America's Desert Diaries. Hello, Arizona calling. And this week, for the first time this year, I left Arizona. And for the first time in 18 months, I got on a plane. I can tell you, I haven't been so excited since my mum let me get the train on my own to Peterborough to go and get the new Pet Shop Boy single from HMV in the Queensgate Shopping Centre. Oh, that was a big day. And this felt like a big moment. Even the faff of taking off your shoes and putting everything you own into that little tray and lining up for security. It was actually exciting. Walking down that little tunnel. Is it called an air bridge? I think it's called an air bridge. You know, the thing that links the gate to the aircraft. I was beside myself, planting a foot onto the plane. I nearly said out loud, I'm on a plane. (laughs) It was tragically exciting. Really, really great. Headline, the airport in Phoenix, Sky Harbour, was packed. Pandemic? What pandemic? I've seen loads of pictures on Instagram from friends in the UK who maybe have popped into Stansted going, oh, isn't it empty? Absolutely ruddy, not the case in Sky Harbour, I can tell you. Social distancing? Not really. Everyone was in a mask, but a lot of people very complainy about it, including the pilot. Now, he began his announcement on a full capacity flight. Despite the CDC... That's the Centre for Disease Control. It's kind of the public health agency here in the US. Despite the CDC saying fully vaccinated people are no longer required to wear a mask indoors, federal law still states you have to wear a mask on my aircraft. I know. I'm sorry. I hear your frustration. But the White House says no. Despite the CDC saying yes. Bear with me on this. He rumbled on for some time. Ridiculous, came a lot of mutters around me. There was tutting and head shaking. And I don't mind, (laughs) I wanted to say out loud. I feel quite vulnerable being back in the new normal, actually. I'm okay with the mask, I'm good. Especially as the tutting man next to me sniffed his way through the whole flight. Now, one thing I did notice is there was no food, no drink served throughout the whole flight. But as it's such a short flight anyway, I don't know if that is the norm. But they do normally try and flog you something on a plane, don't they? So maybe that bit was a result of flying in a pandemic. My friend Anthony met me at LAX in his amazing electric car that made me feel like I was driving in the Batmobile. And we snaked our way north to his place in Laurel Canyon. And oh, my life. What a place to live. Now, I was raised in a house that was always playing music from the Beatles to the Stones to Dusty Springfield, the Hollies. And of course, so many of the bands who shaped the sound of rock and roll all lived in Laurel Canyon in the late 60s. The Mamas and Papas, Buffalo Springfield, Love, The Doors, of course. I hadn't even realised that Alice Cooper was part of that scene, kind of on the edges, of course, being produced by Frank Zappa. But the Monkees also lived in Laurel Canyon at that time. I didn't know that. There's actually a very good two-part documentary simply called Laurel Canyon that's on Amazon Prime here in the States. So if you can, watch it. It is brilliant. So I swanned around those leafy lanes, humming Creek Alley and fantasising about getting my hands on two or three million dollars to buy myself a nice mid-century modern pile with a pool overlooking the canyon. 
The next day I went for a hike around Franklin Canyon Lake, which is utterly extraordinary. It's slap bang in the middle of one of the biggest cities in the world. But it feels like you're miles from civilization. Except, of course, those moments when you just squint and listen very carefully. You can just hear some executive barking complaints about those Netflix numbers into his cell phone as he marches through doing his power walking. There's such a mythology to this area. Everyone I met worked in show business in some way, from costume designers to production assistants, directors and merchandising executives. You know those people who give the green light to the associated tat that comes with any big movie? Any parent will know the scene. But I want the frozen lunchbox scooter pencil case, not the one I already have. So many dollars spent. (laughs) It felt such a million miles away from the valley and not just because of the dense trees which make up Laurel Canyon, but the whole vibe of the area. There was no mistaking that this was a place so very different to Arizona. It's hard to explain. I do love the wildness of Arizona. I mean, we are literally in the Wild West here and I love all that associated history. But that inescapable cultural history that just oozes from the Hollywood Hills is just irresistible. The next day, I waited about a year and a half for an Uber. Travel in a pandemic is more difficult. And headed south to Redondo Beach to see another very old friend. Rick and I worked together in 2002 for my very first job in radio at a teeny tiny station in southwest London that no longer exists. That was called Thames 107.8, Southwest London's freshest mix of music. I remember it so well. We co-presented The Breakfast Show, which was called The Rick Adams Movement. I didn't get a name check. And despite the fact that after tax, I actually earned less money than I paid in rent each month. That debt took me a long time to clear. I don't recommend it. And I had a whole bunch of other massive challenges going on in my life. It was one of my most happy times. Rick and I walked for hours along the shore and I stuck my toes into the Pacific Ocean We squinted at the sun and ate onion rings on the beach and just caught up really on the last two years since we last saw each other. Turns out quite a lot has happened. (laughs) It was fantastic. Little side note, nobody in LA drinks. Now, I'm using nobody in a very loose way here, of course. Lemmy, the sadly departed singer of Motorhead, lived in LA for many years. And having met him through my friend Ian a few times, I can attest he was absolutely the polar opposite of someone who doesn't drink. But over the weekend, I think I've drunk less than a normal weekend, even though I was celebrating being with friends. I probably do, to be fair, need to drink a bit less. But my friend I first stayed with barely ever drinks, despite being a Brit. And I have to tell you, we Brits do have a reputation in this country of liking a tipple. But when I went out for dinner, I asked for a second glass of wine and the waitress said it in this tone. Oh, another one? Oh, okay. (laughs) I was quite surprised. The friend I met the next day, Rick, also commented when we went out for dinner that he couldn't remember the last time he shared a whole bottle of wine with someone else. I mean, in my house, that's a Tuesday, but (laughs) I wonder if it's because LA is so car-centric, it's such a car-centric city in the way that, say, New York is not, that people drive over drinking. I have no idea. Or maybe it's just this clean living Californian culture. 
Another friend, another Brit, in fact, did tell me about going for a routine medical with an L.A. doctor who asked him what his alcohol intake was like. Oh, just a couple of glasses of wine a couple of times a week, he lied casually. She looked him right in the eye and said, have you got any idea how dangerous that is? (laughs) Oh, dear. But what a glorious weekend. Saturday night after too much Italian food, Rick and I stayed up till 2am and listened to old recordings of our breakfast show. I hadn't heard them at all since we first bumbled our way through those programmes nearly two decades ago. I'd like to think we've both got a lot better since then. (laughs) But you know, there was also a real joy in listening to two people who were clearly having so much fun and had a real chemistry on air and were happy to be there. You know, some moments, often those you just don't expect, suddenly seem really significant. And I sat there on Saturday night in my friend's house in Los Angeles, listening to those recordings, and I thought back to the woman whose voice was coming out of the speaker and what I'd say to her. At that time, despite my joy at being on the radio, things were really hard. I'd split up with my husband a few months before and I was living on my friend's couch with three or four carrier bags of my belongings in the corner of her sitting room. That's all I had. Being in London, the car I'd shared with my husband had to have a parking permit and that parking permit was only valid to be parked outside my old marital home. So... I was broke. Every morning at 4am, I walked for a mile and a half from my friend's flat to my old house to get in the car and drive to the studio. Some of those mornings were rough, I can tell you. I had no money. As I said, wages were super low and the only way I could afford to save up for a deposit to rent a flat was because my wonderful friend didn't charge me a penny to live with her. Then, as I said, once I got a flat, which I actually went on to share with her, I couldn't really afford the rent either. But I also had the strongest feeling in my gut that this was what I should be doing. I'd earned okay money working in PR before then, but I'd left because I suddenly had this chance of being on the radio. And whilst it paid less than half of my previous mediocre salary, I thought, I need to see if I can do this. I'll regret it if I don't try. And so I did. So I wanted to tell that woman trudging through the rain at 4am, it's going to be okay. You made the right decision. You're going to work for loads more stations and you will earn enough money when you can afford to pay the rent and eat and buy a parking permit for the flat you actually live in. And then you're going to live in Brighton and then Manchester and you're going to work for the BBC and meet Nick Hayward from Haircut 100 and interview the Prime Minister. And then you're not going to be heartbroken forever. You're going to meet a man who's the right man for you. And you're going to be a mum and have two daughters. And it won't be easy, any of it. But it will be okay. And then in 20 years, you're going to sit opposite the man you are sitting opposite now in this radio studio, in his house, in America, where you both live. And you'll cheers to another drink you really shouldn't be having. And you'll feel really happy. I wonder if she would have believed me. Isn't life funny? I wonder where we'll be in 20 years. Anything's possible, really, isn't it? I'll see you in the desert. (laughs) 